Welcome tech fan listeners, patient as always, to a long overdue tech fan number 115. So what's been going on? Well, Tim's been really busy uh, setting up a new store in Kalamazoo. I did say to him, actually, Kalamazoo is probably one of the most awesome place names I've ever heard of. But that's from me coming from England, where our names are probably a little bit more boring. But that's what he's working on. He's had a lot of meetings. Uh, the meetings have often fallen on the day we would normally record the show. Uh, so we missed one week, and then the next week he said he wasn't be able to make it either, and I suggested I might do something solo, and he said, no, it's my turn to do that. But then real life intervened and he wasn't able to record anything. So um, we weren't able to record last weekend either. And uh, I said I would do something solo. But it was actually my birthday that weekend. And also my daughter's birthday is today. So we had a party for her that weekend. So it's only now the Wednesday after that weekend that I've had time to sit down and, and record something either. Um, since I've returned to work after my injury, things have been pretty crazy, as you might imagine. And um, I'm trying to manage that too and manage my health and also stay on top of the stuff I need to do without killing myself. So anyway, here I am recording on a Wednesday. Um, I'll try and get this show up tonight. And I don't know whether Tim and I will then do something on Friday. So we might make up for our uh, non-existent recording for the last couple of weeks by doing two things quite close together or alternatively we might not make it again this weekend in which case um, I'll, again I'll, I'll step into the breach and do something we'll see how it goes but one of the advantages of not being on for a week or two is that there's plenty of stuff to talk about um, I don't want to talk too much about news uh, there's been an awful lot of news uh, last couple of weeks uh, and we've talked on previous shows about stuff that's been going on in the industry and there's kind of a common theme in all of that that you know it's, it's Tim and I complaining that you know some of the stuff the industry's doing is is not to our liking um that needs saying sometimes but we've said it enough recently so i'm going to try and avoid doing too much of that but unfortunately i do need to say one brief thing on that kind of vein and that's a bit of a response to what happened last week last week was the um situation we had in boston where uh, obviously everybody knows there was some explosions at the marathon uh, at the end of the marathon and then there was a whole kind of insane circus around uh, solving that crime identifying the people responsible uh, and then capturing them and it's been you know like something out of a Hollywood movie and uh, it'd be kind of amusing if it wasn't so tragic and terrible and real but kind of what disappointed me was the way certain aspects of the industry that I like, the tech industry, responded to those tragedies, to those incidents. Um, one that's getting a lot of play at the moment is the uh, amateur detectives on Reddit and other places trying to solve the crime. You know what? I don't have an awful lot to say about that. People were trying to do something. It's natural in those circumstances to try and do something to, which they feel is positive to respond to that sort of uh, that sort of terrible incident and um, you know I think a lot of it was misguided obviously if you get you know 50 to 100 people 
who perhaps maybe think that they're better at doing something than they actually are, and you put them in an internet forum and start them debating theories around, um, then you're going to get some mistakes. And unfortunately, a few people were identified by this group of suspects uh, on the basis that they looked a bit funny, or um, they were seen in a photo looking the wrong way, or seen in a photo with a backpack which might have had a funny shape in it. And it just goes to show you can't judge a book by its cover, you, suck, you can't um, judge a suspect by one photo um, and you definitely can't do that if you've had no training and no experience So, but you know, I hope that the people in those sorts of areas will learn from the incidents and that and fortunately while some people have been harassed uh, as a result of those activities um, there's been no long term consequences or negative um, things on those people I think, hopefully um, and uh, hopefully people will learn from that. No, but what bothered me was the was other situations where it doesn't look like the people concerned are learning from it at all. And this was tech sites like The Verge, uh, Wired, a couple of others as well, who basically on the day of the bombing started reporting on it directly, like they were CNN or something. Uh, not that I particularly want to call out CNN. Um, I don't think that reporting was particularly good either. But they are a news organisation at least, it is their beat, it is what they are supposedly trained and paid to do. Whereas um, there was nothing in the uh, initial reporting of the Boston bombings that sits within the beat of people like The Verge or Wired. Uh, and to basically do it just as a, effectively, I mean, they, they were live blogging it like it was a Steve Jobs keynote. You know, here's, here's a news release, here's something uh, a policeman said. Here's a, a, a Twitter response from some person associated with the thing. Here's a Twitter response from somebody else. Here's a picture somebody posted. You know, I saw some horrific images that I think uh, news organisations with perhaps some semblance of editorial control wouldn't, wouldn't have run. You know, it was a terrible incident. Everybody could see that, you know, people were... Uh, were killed or seriously injured we don't need to see pictures of guys being stretched away with their um, blown off legs hanging out from the stretcher we don't need to see that we kind of know how horrific that is without being shown that sort of image um, and yet uh, I saw that sort of image you know published on uh, I think it was the Atlantic who who posted all of those completely unfiltered um, and again you know these tech sites were basically just doing a rolling live vlog um, completely failing to you know there's no there's no angle on it you know when I was when I when I worked for a newspaper briefly you know one of the first things they taught me is is when you write a story you have to decide what your organization's angle is like what are you trying to say what are you trying to inform your readers by running the story um, and this is something that uh, a lot of sites don't bother doing now they just basically publish it just like it was a press release or anything else and it's all about getting there getting there first and getting the eyeballs on the page um, there's a lot of talk about that about how it's cash generating and everything I think I think a lot of it was uh, people associated with those sorts of sites who f again you know had that motivation to feel like they must do something and what they do is right so they must write about it um, but the problem is, without any proper editorial filter, um, then they get to publish it on those sites, um, and it gets exposed to their readership, 
with without adding any value. And uh, you know, as the editors of, of sites like The Verge seem to be editors in name only, in that it's just a title; it's not actually a job. Um, they they just basically have that on their letterhead as as I'm the guy who founds the site, so I call myself the editor. Um, but don't actually take a direct notice of what their uh, what their staff are writing or publishing. Um, you know, and then defend it to the hilt when people criticise. Because of course the problem with that approach is that um, if if you're a tech site and then you all of a sudden you start doing hard news for a day or something particularly with a, a tragedy or, or something like that, then it looks exploitative. It looks like you are exploiting that situation to drive traffic to your site. Um, whether that's the actual meaning or not, um, as, as I said, I suspect that probably wasn't, you know, I don't think it's as cold and clinical as that. I don't think anybody sits down there playing, wow, what should we run today to drive traffic to our site? I think it's, it's, it's a bit more nuanced than that. But I suspect what this was was that they had one or two writers who said, I want to write about this um, and I'm going to post it on our site. And they went, OK, fine, whatever. Uh, and then they defend it afterwards. Um, and it just sits like a kind of incongruous cold sore in the middle of their uh, the rest of their coverage. Um, and, you know, no tech angle on it, no angle related to what their normal stuff is about. And, um, you know, of course, then afterwards they scramble to go around saying, oh, we're, we're not, a... The Verge said this, they said, oh, we're not a tech site. Um, we're an everything site. But, you know, <laughs> facts don't back that up because they don't cover everything else. They don't cover politics, they don't cover... Um, sport, they don't cover um, other disasters or news events or terrorist events or anything like that. They basically just covered this one because they kind of felt like they should. Um, and the problem for me, again, is that is that not only are you doing that to your readers, but you're not adding any value to that story. And in fact, in many cases, because, again, going back to that Reddit effect, because the writers are untrained and uh, un don't have the right sources and the right connections, they're basically just reposting everything they come across on the internet about the story so they publish a whole load of stuff that's wrong or there's rumor or there's an innuendo or it doesn't have the right context um and consequently muddies the real truth behind the story such as it is rather than um rather than adding value and actually informing their readers and let's face it at the end of the day whether you're doing this podcasting or whether you're um, blogging or whether you're writing for a, a news site whatever surely at the end of the day what you're aiming to do is to be providing some sort of service of information to your readers and you know I don't see the value in just aggregating a whole load of Twitter noise and um, press release noise and um, stuff you've seen off CNN into a single page on, on the web because you know if people want to see that sort of aggregation there are much much better ways of doing that yourself uh, and allowing you to critically filter what you've pulled together rather than having it served up by somebody who uh, doesn't appear to have an angle apart from just posting it on the web. Um, that in itself is bad enough. As I say, what I really discourages me is the fact that the um, so-called editors of such sites then, you know, back back everybody up to the hilt and defend it and don't ever ever admit that maybe they got something wrong or perhaps it was inappropriate you know what even the people on reddit who were doing the amateur detective thing have now held our hands and said you know what we did this we did this wrong we shouldn't do this we won't do it again and yet um topolsky at the verge and others are um not backing down on whether what they did was correct or right um 
certainly my response I was a you know Tim and I have talked about The Verge before and you know it's, a, it's normally a pretty good tech site but I'm not reading it anymore I've unsubscribed from the feeds uh, I'm unsubscribed from, from Twitter um, and I will objectively go out of my way not to follow a link to their story if it's posted um, somewhere else because you know what I'm not interested in what they do anymore uh, and that's that's pretty much my view I don't know whether people agree or disagree perhaps I'm overreacting but I think you know this is indicative of a general uh, debasing of uh, what journalism, what information dissemination is. You know what we do, what we can do now, is so powerful um, and so uh, you know spread so far and has so many effects that you can't you can't see because you don't know how people respond to what you're doing. That, um, in my mind, I think it, it needs just a little, well, probably more than just a little caution and responsibility and awareness, um, rather than thinking you're in the Wild West and you can do whatever you want. There are places on the internet where you can do that. Your personal website is where you can do that. Um, but I think if you're serving as a news source to a large group of people, you have a slightly bigger responsibility than just doing whatever the hell you want. Just my view, uh, but that's that's what it is. Anyway, I'm not going to spend any more time moaning or complaining about that anymore because I think I've said everything I can say. So I'm going to slot in an ad for uh, another uh, podcast on our network, and I'll come back to you in a moment. On the MyMag.com podcast. And how could they contact you, Gaz? <laughs> Uh, for those who don't speak parrot, that's <laughs> Gaz at MyMac.com, G-A-Z at MyMac.com, and you can also reach him on the Twitters at Twitter.com forward slash GazMaz, G-A-Z, M-A-Z, and we have a combined Twitter account, which is Twitter.com forward slash Guy and Gaz, G-U-I-A-N-D-G-A-Z. <laughs> And if if you wanted to let Fearless Leader know that you don't speak Parrot, you can let him know that by sending an email to feedback at mymac.com, no zed. You're listening to the G-Men. Okay, and here I am again. So, um, listeners to the show will know that I had a car accident and uh, rolled the car and wrote it off. Uh, this last couple of weeks, we have re finally replaced that vehicle. Um, we are now a two-car family again, which is good because it was getting a bit constraining only having one. You know, when you've got two kids and you're doing a lot of running around, even though I wasn't working at the time, it was difficult to manage one car, so it's good to have two. Um, but I wanted to spend a little bit um, of time talking about kind of what I've seen going shopping for a new car in 2013 and um, seeing what's available for the same sort of money you used to get you know regular cars for a few years ago uh, was quite interesting to me so the vehicle we ended up choosing was a, a Volvo V40 which is kind of a um, I don't know if it's on sale in the US market yet um, but here in the UK it's a premium hatchback so it's kind of like um, a bit large a little bit larger than say a Honda Civic or something like that five doors uh, hatch at the back um, you know so it's I suppose in it's what the US would call a, a, a mid-size compact 
I mean, by by English standards, it's kind of um, you know a small family car. Um, uh, but uh, you know, Volvo in in the in the UK certainly is is viewed as a premium brand, kind of alongside um, BMW, Audi, that sort of thing. Uh, and we didn't buy it because it was premium. We bought it because it was safe. I and mean, they are known to be the safest cars on the market. And obviously, having gone through a fairly, fairly horrendous car accident. Um, my wife and I both felt like we wanted something that had a reputation for great, great safety. So um, that's what we went for. And uh, we went for literally the cheapest model you can buy in the range. So uh, that's a, a diesel uh, engine and, um, you know, the base specification. No options at all apart from metallic paint. So um, it's literally, you know, straight out of the uh, catalogue and factory straight to us um, and this is kind of what got me thinking really because it's packed full of stuff that just a few years ago I think you would have paid substantial options premiums for on the higher end cars so you know it has stuff that you kind of would expect nowadays it has air conditioning obviously um, has uh, you know uh, power locks power windows uh, power steering all the stuff that you know when I was growing up was kind of the you know the premium features but but some of the technical features on it now really are quite impressive uh, especially as a standard no extra specification so it has bluetooth system on it um but the bluetooth system is really um you know fully comprehensive it uh, can stream audio from your phone so it can stream music and podcasts and that sort of thing from any phone um, it also takes your phone calls that's all integrated there's a full phone system built into the car with voice control um, which is pretty cool and you know again this is a slightly upper end feature and one thing I've noticed on this one is that the um, quality of the audio through Bluetooth seems to be better than uh, other systems I've used in the past I had similar sort of thing on my uh, old toys Toyota Prius but here on the Volvo it does seem to be a lot clearer um, which is which is pretty good uh, and uh, you know that that's that's all that's all fun and dandy. The audio system as well does a lot of other cool things. Um, again, which you know used to be premium features. There is a USB port as well as an audio three and a half mil port uh, in the uh, kind of armrest between the two front seats. That USB port will take a flash drive and play MP3s off it. Um, and it will also take a standard iPod cable and then give you full control over the iPod or the iPhone, including all the track displays, playlist displays and everything on a screen that front the car. So um, that's that's pretty good because, you know, again, that's something that, that you often have to pay extra for on other vehicles. So being able to do that is pretty nice. Um, tried it with my iPhone 5 and a lightning cable and it seems to work pretty well as well. So that's good. Um, because everything is driven by a screen, um, there's a kind of a, a and, I, and I, I think this is kind of where you start to see the influence of uh, smartphone technology now affecting car manufacturers you know you've always had this disconnect where you know you can pick up something like an iPad um, or a smartphone for a few hundred pounds and then you, you know you go and buy a, a, a satellite system or a premium media system for your car from the car manufacturer and it's couple of thousand pounds so again they're starting to build this stuff in the standard now so it has a, a pretty decent five inch uh, LED uh, screen in the car not touch screen but it's, it's basically controls all the systems in the car um, and that can also show video so um, not when the car's moving because that would be crazy uh, but uh, when the car is stopped if you've got video on your um, either on the DVD that's in the uh, in the audio player you know in the DVD player 
um, or alternatively if you've got a video on a USB stick that's plugged in that USB port then you can display it on the screen so that's pretty nice it's great for if you're parked up with the kids um, so you know that's okay uh, as I said this screen kind of controls all the systems of the car and uh, that means the whole um, uh, you know pretty much everything the car can do so all the funky stuff like do you want the doors to lock when you drive away you can set that on the screen using a menu interface do you want the um, recirculation on the climate control to uh, turn off after a time um, you know, automatically you can there's a setting on there for that there's a whole load of different options you can bring up all the mileage information for the car all the all the fuel control um, you know all the um, the dynamic stability control that stops the car from skidding turn that on and off um, you can control how the uh, instrument dashboard displays information to you by changing settings. You can even change the colour of the lights inside the car. Uh, they're all LED lights, so you can have different colours. Um, all from the screen at the front of the car, which is, um, you know, again, it's not, it's not something that's brand new. You know, I think uh, higher-end BMWs have had the, that system for, for a few years now. But to see it on an entry-level car, uh, at no... no um, you know, at a standard price without having it as an optional extra, um, I think is pretty interesting. Um, one thing that we haven't got on our vehicle, but actually is a as a, a smallly priced option on on this particular car, is a full um, LED instrument panel. So we've got standalone analog instruments, and inside the uh, Speedo, it has kind of a a dot matrix screen, uh, you know, black and white dot matrix screen that shows, you know all sorts of information to you as and when you want from a stalk on the wheel but uh, the most of the Volvos we test drove had this um, TFT instrument pack which basically means the entire instrument binnacle in front of you is just a kind of a big screen and that allows them to you know show whatever they want so the speedo can be moved um, you can have different colors for whatever mode driving mode the cars and you put it in small sports mode it goes red if you put it in eco mode it goes green so you know I think that's an interesting development I think probably the uh, the days as the price has come down the days of the standard uh, analog instrument instrument um, binnacle is probably numbered um, so, that, so that's 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 pretty cool but we didn't go for that one because that was a few hundred pounds more and we didn't really want to spend any extra money having just had to pay to, to replace a vehicle we didn't want to buy another one with extra options on um, this being Volvo of course as I said you know it's sold on its safety and uh, it has an awful lot of safety features built in um, as you might expect most safety features on Volvo are fairly passive you know these are the guys who invented the three the you know the three um, point seat belt and the airbag for instance so you know you expect to be stuffed full of that this this car has airbags where I didn't think you would ever need airbags I noticed the other day I dropped something on the floor uh, and obviously I can't bend at the moment so I had to get out of the car and kind of kneel down to pick it up uh, and when I got down under underneath there I found an airbag <laughs> kind of down in the uh, in the driver's uh, kind of passenger foot, uh, driver's footwell which obviously is there for the knees or something like that which is not something I've ever seen before but this car also has um, some fairly innovative safety features on it has an airbag for instance for pedestrians so um, should you be unfortunate enough to hit somebody as they cross the road in front of you uh, an airbag pops up on the outside of the car that raises the bonnet so that they uh, uh, they um, you know kind of get lifted up rather than being slammed straight into the windscreen so that 
dissipates some of the energy. And then the airbag inflates, it covers over all the metal parts of the windshield so that they don't um, they don't hit themselves on that covers over as well as it inflates the windscreen wipers and all of that so they don't injure themselves on those. Uh, and really does direct them, takes a, a lot of the energy of the collision out and then directs them up onto the windshield so that uh, you know they don't end up being uh, flung to the side of the car where they might get injured by something else. Now that's not, not something that's obviously going to help you inside the car but you know it's nice to think that Volvo are thinking about um, the implications of driving a car if you end up unfortunately hit, hit somebody else um, uh, and again that's a standard feature it's not something you pay extra for um, something else is standard is something they called city safe now this is really quite tech and quite cool so up in the windshield there is at the top there is a laser scanner that's running all the time uh, and that basically is scanning the road in front of you to uh, see where the vehicle in front of you is uh, and at low speeds, I think it up, operates up to about 35 miles per hour. Um, if um, in traffic a car were to stop suddenly in front of you, say somebody walked out in front of them and they stopped suddenly. Now, and those are the sort of situations where, depending on how close you are to that vehicle and how much attention you're paying, um, you might not see that, particularly if, if you're uh, you know concerned about other traffic around you as well. With City Safe, that laser beam detects that that car has stopped and it automatically brakes the car for you uh, if it thinks that you're likely to hit that vehicle um, that stopped in front of you. Um, you know, <laughs> now, this is one of those features, I've seen it demoed um, in, in the Volvo gar garage. It's one of those things you have it in the car, you don't want to check it's working. The last thing you want to do is kind of drive at 20 miles an hour up to a stop vehicle uh, just to check whether the car stops for you because obviously if it gets it wrong you're going to hit it. But um, reassuring really and I, I think you know again this probably points the way to how the car industry is going now is that you know we've seen all this uh, additional technology coming from projects like, um, like the Google self-driving car. Uh, and things like that where you where you know these these sensors now allow the vehicles to really see um, what's going on around them uh, and react accordingly and um, so you know this is something we have built in the car standard and it's it's pretty reassuring really to know that that we have that because obviously low speed collisions while they can't be um well, they're not obviously as severe as the collision we suffered uh, we were on a on a freeway at the time we had it um you know they they still can be uh they still can be dangerous they can still hurt people and uh definitely something you'd want to avoid so to have that sort of technology built in the car standard is pretty nice now of course in the days of uh recession and inflation and high fuel price and everything the economy of cars very important to everyone um, this is one of the other things that attracted us to this vehicle. Is not only is it very safe, but it's very, very economical. As I said before, it's got a diesel engine in it. Uh, now I know that I certainly know from my experience growing up, um, you know, spending time in the states growing up, that diesel passenger cars weren't ever really a big thing there. Um, and as far as I'm aware, they're still not, as though they are more than they were. Um, but in Europe, they're very big. Um, really really you know quite an awful lot of vehicles have have diesel engines in um, diesel has you know some real benefits and has some real drawbacks as well it's uh, much more economical than petrol so you can normally get a good 40% more mileage out of a gallon of diesel than you can get with a, a gallon of petrol um, 
but over here it's slightly more expensive well, it was a lot more expensive it's slightly come down recently um, which negates some of those economy savings uh, and the engines themselves diesel uses um, compression ignition rather than um, spark ignition so uh, that means that the engines uh, the comp also the compression ratios in the cylinder is much higher than it is with petrol um, so the engines have to be bigger uh, and more robust which makes them heavier uh, because the pressure inside them is so much higher and certainly in the past that meant that the engines were pretty noisy as well because there was you know so much energy being released inside each cylinder that uh, you kind of got this this pretty uh, unattractive mechanical racket coming from a diesel engine anybody who's ever been in a black london cab will know what this sound is it's kind of a a real mechanical metallic noise coming from the cylinders rather than the uh, the smooth um, kind of humming noise you get from uh, from an idling petrol engine um, and particularly when they're cold diesel engines can be pretty noisy and certainly when the last time I had a diesel car which is probably about 10 years ago uh, my uh, my wife always used to say to me that I was leaving early for work in the morning she always knew it because she could hear the car start up and it was much much noisier than the than the petrol car um, this one is amazingly quiet for a diesel. I mean, you can still tell it's different. Um, you can, I mean, the, the definitely is a little bit more noise and vibration. But from the outside of the car, it's it, it's lost that metallic clanging. It, you know, it, it's it's la slightly louder, but it doesn't sound anywhere near as unpleasant as uh, as the old diesel engine used to. Um, and um, it's certainly a lot smoother and quieter. One of the advantages diesel has is that it's very talky. So you get a lot of pulling power at quite low revs, uh, and diesel engines generally rev a lot, lot lower than, than petrol engines do. And these modern ones, they all have um, quite a lot. There's quite a lot of technical, technological investment in diesel engines to try and mitigate a lot of these problems and, and make them more efficient and cleaner, and um, you know, without all the soot and stuff like that as well. So uh, these modern ones kind of have uh, high-pressure rails to deliver fuel to the engine. Uh, and turbochargers to try and moderate the torque characteristics and stuff like that and this one's packed to the gunnels with all that stuff uh, which you know gives you a very nice driving experience it pulls away you know pretty fast from low revs um, provided you work the gearbox got a six-speed gearbox um, you know then you can keep it in the power band and, and make fairly nice progress um, but the big thing for, for us is the economy the economy in this thing is phenomenal it's rated at 74 miles per gallon. Um, now, uh, to our US listeners, our British gallon is slightly larger than a uh, US gallon, so um, you know that that kind of gives us a little bit of advantage. But nevertheless, 74 miles per gallon, and those ratings come from the cars being run on rolling roads in the test track. So um, they don't, you don't get that in the real world, because obviously you're actually you're actually moving the car and you've got air resistance and stuff like that as well but uh, we've we've done a couple of hundred miles on the car now um, so this is an engine that's not running it's brand new so it's still still fairly tight um, and also we tend to drive uh, as a small wife's car we tend to drive mostly around town short to medium length journeys of only about you know 10 to 15 miles each normally um, and we're still seeing 55 to the gallon out of the thing so far um, and I would expect on the highway and once it loosens up a bit for that to increase as well. So, uh, you know, it's pretty phenomenal to fill a car up, fill a uh, car up to the tank 
and then turn on the trip computer in it where it gives you the estimated mileage and for it to say you know you probably got 650 700 miles before you have to fill it up again um you know the car i run now which is a, a two and a half litre petrol master six it's a great car uh, and uh, you know it's fast powerful quiet and everything but i get 310 320 miles in a tank if i'm lucky um, the tank in the Volvo is smaller, and we're getting double the double the range out of it. So um, you know, it just goes to show that uh, with the right technological application, you can real make a real difference to uh, kind of mileage and economy. Um, and uh, you know, it does slightly amuse me when I go to the states and I see um, you know American manufacturers talking about uh, you know class leading economy for their cars, and they're talking about 35, 40 miles per gallon. Um, which is is something we would not view in the UK uh, as particularly good, but you know I guess you you have the the advantage you have there is that fuel is a lot cheaper, so there's there's less pressure, less drivers to try and get those those better economy rates out of the cars. But um, you know here where we're paying the equivalent of well, well I think it's probably about eight nine dollars a gallon now for uh, fuel uh, in the equivalent of what we pay here, um, it makes a big difference, and um, you know. That's pretty good, and it, and it you know you kind of you see these things you see these developments. Uh, I mean that, that cars of that sort of economy mileage in a big I mean, this is a big car. This is five six people. You know you've seen that sort of uh, mileage out of very small city cars and stuff in the past, but this is a much bigger car. To see that sort of performance just goes to show that um, you know when people talk about the threat the threat to uh, climate change and fossil fuels meaning that you know perhaps one day we won't have cars it's just not true because when you have the right technological impetus or financial impetus then the technology catches up uh, and um, you know manufacturers when they're incentivized to actually develop better technology can do amazing things wonderful things and I think we're a long way from having to give up the car because um, it's uh, uneconomical or un unaffordable to run um, because I suspect that uh, our manufacturers probably have more ideas uh, and more uh, developments to do before we get to that stage. Okay, so final thing I want to talk about before we're done today is uh, I've got a couple of items that I want to talk about, kind of as brief reviews. Um, first is a piece of software called Boom. And Boom is from a company called... Global Delights, I believe. Let me just check that. Yes, Global Delights. Um, and they're a, a, a Mac and iPhone developer. And um, uh, I basically, I've sent this, this for review, and I'm going to be reviewing, uh, posting a review up on the MyMac site as well the next day or so. But uh, there's not, I mean, it's a fairly simple one-shot program but it's pretty good at what it does and so I thought I were worth mentioning it to you as well this is a program that runs on the Mac basically what it does is it boosts the Mac's volume and gives you an equalizer as well but really uh, kind of giving you a better volume is is what it's all about um, and it is remarkably effect effective I mean really effective um, you know before I tried it I thought oh, you know so it makes things a bit louder big wow but this really I mean we're talking double the volume really uh, and if you have a system with kind of lousy built-in speakers, say you have a Mac Mini or a, um, a, a MacBook Air or something like that, and you want to actually make use of the inbuilt speaker rather than plugging something um, extra in, like an external speaker set, 
then re this really does kind of allow you to do that. You know, uh, I've gone from being able to, uh, if I want to watch video on my uh, MacBook Air, sat in bed, um, without having headphones in, uh, I've gone from really not being able to do that to being able to do that with this software. Um, installs as a kind of a system tray icon up the top screen. Uh, and uh, the, the best way to use it really is to bang up your system volume all the way and then use Boom's volume control instead. Um, and there's a preference pane that allows you to turn it on and off and as, a, as I mentioned there's a uh, an equaliser in there as well if you want to apply system-wide equalisation. problem with that really is that um, you know I find if I want to, want to apply the equalization to uh, the audio on our Mac, then I want different equalization for music than, than I would want, say, for movies. Um, now, with uh, if you've got iTunes for your music and there may be a different video player for your video, then you can do that. Um, whereas if you use the equalizer in Boom, it applies the same setting to everything. So that didn't work so well for me. Not that it's not very good. It, it's very good indeed, but I, just the the fact that it's global equalization just didn't really seem to be of use to me. But the audio boosting is amazing. Uh, you don't get distortion. Um, you don't get any problems like that. Um, so it really it, it's one of those things you kind of think, well, if it's this easy, easy, why the hell didn't Apple just build it into the system in the first place? But there you go. So um, yeah, if you do have a laptop and you want to get a bit of um, area-wide audio from the internal speakers or you have a Mac Mini as well. Uh, I mean it works on any system, even if you have external speakers it does the same but uh, obviously less call for it on something where you've got some sort of application on the outside. Um, but yeah, give it a go. Um, Global Delight is, is uh, the company uh, and uh, you know, boom. Uh, if, if you uh, have a look on, on my Mac over the next day or two you'll see my review on there and it's got all the links you want for the uh, software and if you want to go out and buy it. And then the other thing that, that I'm reviewing at the moment, and this is not something that I've been supplied for review, but this is something I was, I was actually given as a gift for my birthday that I'm finding pretty cool, is the uh, Fitbit, which is a kind of a high-tech pedometer. So, um, obviously with this back injury, I've spent a lot of time the last three months lying on my back doing very little. Um, and while I'm glad to say that, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's all the drugs I've been taking or... Uh, the fact that you know I've I've not I've not felt so well or anything, but well, I haven't managed I've managed to avoid ballooning too much weight on, um, which was something I was worried about when I first had the injury. Um, you know I still want to try and get a bit fitter again, and and obviously with a back injury, the less I weigh, the less pain I'm going to have. So uh, I'm kind of on a bit of a drive at the moment, trying to lose a bit of weight, and um, I'm not a gym guy. Uh, never really have enjoyed the gym, and uh, let's face it. With the roaring back pain, going to the gym is not really going to work for me at the moment. So, um, you know, I've been trying to walk a lot more. And so uh, I was after a Fitbit to try and uh, allow me to monitor that. And um, having received one as a birthday gift, I'm pretty pleased with it. It's a little tiny sensor, um, probably about the size of the third generation iPod Shuffle, if you want to kind of get an idea for how big it is. comes with a little clip, allows you to clip it to your um, in the inside of your pocket or to your belt. Um, or onto your shirt, or if you're a lady, they, they suggest you can maybe clip it to the inside of your bra strap. Um, and you basically walk around with it all day, and it um, it measures all the steps you take uh, and calculates how many calories you're burning from that. It also has a barometer in it, so it can measure pressure changes, so it knows if you go up and down stairs. So it can actually measure how many um, sets of stairs you climb or descend, 
which is good. Um, it comes with a little wrist strap that allows you to put it on at night. And then if you at night, what you can do is um, press a button to put it in a different mode. Uh, and then what will happen is it will it will measure how much you move during the sleep you sleep. Uh, and effectively, um, there are algorithms it applies that that it can recognise the sort of movements you're making. It knows whether you're just turning over in your sleep or whether you're actually becoming awake. Um, and so it'll report to you as well how much how well you're sleeping. Uh, nice little feature in there as well. You can set a kind of a vibration alarm to wake you up in the morning on that too, uh, silently. So uh, if you like to get up a bit early, but maybe you wanted to get up early to go for a bit of a walk before you go to work, um, it would uh, allow you to do that without necessarily waking uh, anybody else who might be sharing your living sp your uh, bedroom space with you. So so that's pretty good. And uh, it has Bluetooth. There's a matching um, app for either the well, there's a website for um, for use on the Mac or the PC for storing your data um, and it also comes with a little Bluetooth dongle if you, in case you don't have Bluetooth on your computer or it will talk very happily to an iPhone or an iPad um, there's an iOS app you can get for it an Android app as well the iOS app is uh, kind of um, it's one of those iPhone only apps so if you run it on the iPad it blows up um, into a double screen kind of deal um, so I actually use it on my iPhone, and any time you fire that app up, it syncs the Fitbit and stores, pulls all the data off. Uh, presents everything graphically, gives you targets for how many steps um, you might want to set during a day, so you can actually, um, you know, kind of incentivize yourself to do a bit more exercise if you want. That's something I've been building up to now that I've been using it for a f for a few days. Is now thinking about you know kind of what I'm generally doing in a day, and then thinking about well how can I set a target, say a few thousand steps above that, to encourage me to do a bit more walking. Um, the website's quite comprehensive in some of the apps, so you can put your weight on there and it will, it will monitor your weight and give you a graph of your weight over time and do a body mass index for your fat and that sort of thing. Um, you can use it as a food logger if you want so you can you can record what you eat and you can put your calories in there and that sort of thing and then weigh that up against the calories you're um, expending by walking. Um, you know it's it's a nice it's it's a good balance for me between you, you know kind of real fitness obsessed type stuff you know you can get the the watches with the heart monitors and you know the stuff like that for the people who are into like big cardio this is kind of a is this kind of is is kind of that but on a smaller scale because really what i wanted was something that was going to try and do it incentivize me to do a little bit more without necessarily going you know to the full lycra and gym shoes type rid type deal uh, and that seems to be doing that for me um battery life on the on the little device is excellent um lasts for about five six days before it needs recharging and it recharges very quickly got a little screen on it so uh, anytime you want you can just press a button and see how you're doing for that day um yeah it's a nice solution and i'm fairly impressed with it so uh if that sounds like the sort of thing that you uh you want to do to help you to uh, improve your exercise rate a little bit then uh yeah take a look they do do a cheaper version um this is the fitbit one that i'm using and I think my uh, my brother who bought it for me paid about eighty pounds for. You can get the Fitbit Zip, which is the same thing, but it doesn't do the um, sleep monitoring, so it just does the uh, the exercise monitoring, and that's about cheap. It's about fifty pounds, um, and I believe they have a um, kind of a, a wristband version coming as well that kind of looks like the Nike Fuel Band. Um, I don't think that's available yet, so I'm not sure how much that is. So uh, various different options for there, but yeah, they 
the Fitbit one certainly seems to be doing it for me, uh, and I'm enjoying it. And um, you know, <laughs> kind of one of those things. You know, if you're a we're all on this show, we're all gadget geeks, so if you're looking for a gadget, um, type of gadget to ask for for a gift or buy for yourself that is something that you probably haven't tried or used before, then this kind of fits the bill, so, uh, you know, something to buy for the gadget geek who already has all the other gadgets. Okay, well, I think that that's going to do it for the, for this, this show. Um, I'm going to uh, leave you now, and as I say... I'm not sure at this point whether you'll have another show from both Tim and I, um, you know, within a short order in the next few days, or whether in fact it will be something else. So um, we'll see. Time is uh, time is moving on, but we'll see how things are going. So uh, any comments, as always, get back to us. You can uh, email us at the TechFan website. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, I seem to remember the last time we were on. Tim said, "Oh, I must get some email addresses set up for the uh, for the tech fan website." And he he actually dropped a message to me afterwards saying that he'd gone to check and found out he'd actually done that about a year and a half ago. Um, so uh, David at techfanpodcast.com, I think, or um, Tim at techfanpodcast.com, or you can get us via the MyMac addresses, or you can find us on Twitter. Um, Tim is at MyMac on Twitter and I'm at David B. Cohen so drop us a line uh, or comment on the uh, on the show notes of the site if you want, whatever you want to do it. the guys who normally get in touch know how to get in touch with us um, and uh, you know uh, the TechFan website has got all the details about TechFanPodcast.com has got all the details about how to get hold of us if you want to interact so I uh, hope to speak to you soon take care <laughs>